war stories. It's a kegs, first and foremost, so it's going to be fun just for that purpose. There'll be food and beverages, but it's really, more importantly, an opportunity for the military members within McDonough to kind of get to share their stories and their experiences in the military. These stories can really range from anything. You know, it might just be a very simple standard day in the life, or it might be a specific mission that someone conducted. It could be when something went bad or something that went really well. Stories run the gamut. It's just a really good event for the McDonough community at large to find out more about the military. I feel like there's this kind of mystery about it, especially for people who have no military affiliation, no family who's ever been in the military. So just giving that connection, having students realize that, you know, there's a lot of things that the military does that aren't so different from what they're probably experiencing in their day jobs. On today's episode, we are joined by Derek Cunningham and Chrissy Casper. Derek and Chrissy lead the McDonough Military Association and both are true heroes. Derek is a former officer in the U.S. Marine Corps. He served as a jet pilot flying the EA-6B Prowler until the airframe was retired in 2019. Derek has deployed several times, including tours to Japan, Korea, and multiple locations in the Middle East, and was the last pilot to fly an EA-6B in a combat mission. Derek will be joining an investment banking firm full-time in July 2022. Chrissy did Naval ROTC during her undergrad studies at Vanderbilt and then joined the Navy as a surface warfare officer upon graduating. Her primary focus was on the operation of Navy ships at sea and the management of all the shipboard systems such as weapons or engineering. Chrissy commanded the sailors responsible for the ship's main engines and generators, and she was in charge of ensuring her ship had the necessary number of trained security personnel to protect the ship while in port. Derek and Chrissy, I thank you so much for your time and coming on the show. Um, thanks for being here. No, thank you for having us. This is really, uh, this is really cool. I'm glad that I've got a chance to stop it. Yeah. So we have something to promote on this show, which is war stories. But before we get to that, I just wanted to kind of dive into a little bit about your background in terms of the military and why you decide to ultimately exit the military and then pursue your MBA at Georgetown. So. I'll throw that out to Chrissy first, and then Derek, love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, so after my two sea tours that I did, I went to D.C. for my shore tour, which is a tour where you don't deploy. It's kind of a breather for people during your active duty service. And while I was there, I was kind of hitting a stay or go point, and I just felt like I'd kind of taken my naval service as far as I wanted to go. I got to do a couple deployments kind of had enough of of that time at sea. So I was really just, for me, it was more about wanting and being ready for the next adventure in life and trying my hand at something new. So I decided I was going to get out. And then at that point, I kind of realized I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And I didn't necessarily have a lot of experience outside of the Navy. So I wanted to go and get an MBA. It seemed like a really flexible degree, which I still think it is. So I I'm happy with that decision, and I think it's going to set me in a, a good point to pivot into something entirely new. What do you want to pivot into? I think I'm looking at some kind of operations role I'm hoping to get into. Do you know what that looks like yet, or what firms you're targeting? Not yet. I've applied for a couple operations LDP-type roles at a few companies, but I think a lot of it is just in time in the spring, so I'll probably have a lot heavier recruiting at that point. Gotcha. And where'd you spend your summer last year? 
I was at a health food startup over the summer doing operations and strategy with them, helping them scale up. They're moving into a few new locations over the summer. So that was really cool to just kind of dive into something so new like that and help them iron out a lot of their operational capabilities and just setting up standard operating procedures and, and that kind of thing. So it was a lot of fun. Startups need people like you, right? Those operations are important um, <laughs> to make sure maybe, everything goes I don't smoothly. know about me specifically, but it was maybe <laughs> Someone a little like structure you. for me. <laughs> it was too what? Too little structure, I think, for me. Got it. So you got to find a balance between mm-hmm. on one end, you have the military super structured and a startup is kind of fly by the seat of your pants. For sure. Cool. And now Derek, I'll bring you in. Yeah, I'd love to hear about your background getting out of the Marines and then pursuing the MBA. So throw that question to you. Yeah. So very similar to what Chrissy said, you know, I I spent about 10 years in the operational forces, you know, doing the deployments and flying. And, you know, sort of at that point in my career where you either stay in to do 20 years and you get your pension or or you kind of jump ship. And, and for me, I knew that I never really wanted to do 20 years. I wanted to serve. I wanted to do my time. And ultimately, my goal was to go back and get an MBA. So I, I almost, you know, went into to my military service knowing that 10 or 12 years down the line, I'd, I'd probably jump ship and, and go do an MBA. At the time, I thought consulting seemed really cool. A lot of my family members were consultants. A lot of them did military and then did an MBA and then did consulting or they did military MBA followed by banking. It seemed like a logical sort of approach for me. So similar to Chrissy as well, I I took my last year and a half here uh, just outside of D.C., down in Quantico, Virginia, where I was, I was, I was staff secretary for a commanding general. So he was in charge of 86,000 people. And I was in charge of, of basically making sure that all of his correspondence and, and papers that we were writing and, and, you know, ways to develop and change sort of the training pipeline were met. And so that sort of gave me a bit of a breather that 18 month period to really focus on, you know, applications, essays. And, and for me, Georgetown, if they would have me, Georgetown was a no-brainer. And ultimately, I decided in that 18 months that investment banking is is where I'd like to, you know, try to try to take my shot. And you know, I was successful with it last year. Got my internship at Rothschild in New York over the summer this year, and accepted my full-time offer. So I'll be going back there next year, most likely July, August timeframe to start full-time. That's excellent. So yeah, for me, coming from a non-traditional background in sports, one of the key things I had to do in recruiting for a more traditional business job was being able to relay and tell my story and put it into general business terms. So I'm curious, your experience in the Marines, how did you relay that to the investment banking world to show you have the necessary skills to produce for them? Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of similarities between the two, honestly. So I, you know, I, I felt a little more comfortable and at home you know, going into investment banking from the personal managerial aspect side. I think that you deal with a lot of ambiguity. You deal with a lot of situations where you don't have 100% of the information, yet you have to decide a course of action. You need to decide the information that you have, who needs to know it. And I think that a big part of that is is being able to separate what's important and what is what's sort of, you know, the fluff and, and the extra. And I think the military does a really, especially in the Marine Corps specifically, I think does a, a really great job in in setting us up. So for me, the approach was, you know, what did I do in the military? And then how can I explain that in quote unquote civilian terms? And that really came down to practice, honestly. 
I had a couple other folks I was studying with and, and honestly, they helped me a lot. Sort of, you know, they would sort of call me when I started talking in acronyms and agency letters that people may or may not understand. So I think that was a big part of it. And then, you know, just recognizing that I think leadership transcends jobs and, and being a good leader is is the first step in, in a lot of the careers that, that we're going to go into. So I think leaning heavily on that aspect was for me to tell my story and convince somebody else that, you know, somebody with no finance background could go do investment banking at my age after 12 years, almost 12 years mm-hmm. in the military. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Again, thanks for being here. And I want to get to why we're here, which is war stories coming up on November 11th. And I want to ask both you guys, like, break it down. What is war stories and why should people attend this event? Um, So war stories, I mean, it's a kegs first and foremost. So it's going to be fun just for that purpose. There'll be food and beverages, but it's really more importantly, an opportunity for the military members within McDonough to kind of get to share their stories and their experiences in the military. And these stories can really range from anything. You know, it might just be a very simple standard day in the life, or it might be a specific mission that someone conducted. It could be when something went bad or something that went really well. Stories run the gamut of experiences. And it's it's just a really good event for the McDonough community at large to find out more about the military and this kind of, I feel like there's this kind of mystery about it, especially for people who have no military affiliation, no family who's ever been in the military. So just giving that connection, having students realize that, you know, there's a lot of things that the military does that aren't so different from what they're probably experiencing in their day jobs. So it's just a good way to connect past experiences with how we're all going to go out and be future business leaders. Anything to add, Derek? Yeah, I think the only other thing, because Christy nailed it, that I think that I would add for why you should attend, right? At Georgetown, we, you know, we teach and, and we sort of live the cure of personalis, the care for the whole person. And I think that we have a distinct advantage in Georgetown, especially in the MBA program. We're a very small cohort. We're a very small class size. And I think that it, it takes a lot for for military members to get up there and talk about this because it's it's largely private. And I think that it's important to recognize that people are getting up there and opening up and sharing a very potentially personal part of their life. And I think that that says a lot for how we build our camaraderie and the cohesiveness within our class and within our cohorts. And I think that if you come out and you listen to what some of these folks have to say, I think that it's it's a really nice way to to truly get to know somebody a little bit more personally or a little bit more on a personal level. And like Chrissy said, look, it's it's a keg. So at the end of the day, you know, you get to you get to drink with a bunch of military vets and, and have some food and share some stories. And I think it's it's just a really nice way to to get to know the other side of people. That's awesome. And like I said at the top, no matter what service members do, in my opinion, you guys are badass. You are all heroes. So to Derek's point, coming out to support the military folks and learn more about what they do is super important in my opinion. And also to Chrissy's point, there may be some misconceptions about what folks do. So to better understand that and hear it from the horse's mouth, I think is super important and a ton of fun. And I'm looking forward to it. I wanted to ask you guys when Chrissy, you were speaking on that last topic, made me think of this to your point, especially about like not really knowing what military folks do. Have you seen the most recent commercials they've been putting out? I don't know if it's the army or the Navy, but like they're almost making it seem that the way they're enticing people to come apply is through 
tech jobs and like high tech and this super evolved system and organization that runs on this high tech machinery and can really advance careers just through the application of this big tech and big data. I thought that was a unique approach to marketing. Yeah, I haven't seen them, but that's pretty interesting. And it's it's definitely applicable for some jobs within the Navy. I know they're what, what are called information techs and electronic techs. So those more technical jobs and roles often do very well when they exit the Navy because they have this training. So they often do very well. Maybe Derek wants to weigh in on that as well. Yeah, I think I think the battle space has changed over the past 40 years significantly, right? And I think that the military often is a little slow to adapt to those changes. But I think that what you're seeing now is, I mean, look, as much fun as we like to poke, or as much fun as I like to poke at the Space Force because it's Space Force, right? You know, I think that their mission is important. And I think that the, the evolution and, and changing of the battle space is here. And I think that technology and sort of this this battle for for wavelength and battle for space and time is just as important as maybe the battle spaces of you know 50 60 years ago so i definitely think that they're enticing newer and younger generations that way I, you know i've seen a couple of commercials specifically for the army and i think one for the space force which you know just goes to show you that these are these are sort of the new frontiers where the dod and and the us government is trying to affect change. And we've got a lot of really young, talented people that are, you know, coming up through high school and college that are that are looking to to affect that change. And I think that the DOD is trying to to get theirs, just like just like every other industry is, yeah. is trying to attract these people, right? Same thing, you know, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say that the DOD and, and you know the Army and the Marine Corps are the most cutting edge technologically, but I think that what you lack there you gain an experience in leadership, which is 10 times as useful in my mind in the in the future. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how it works for them because like I said, I, I'd never seen that marketing approach before. So it'll be interesting to see the data returns on how that campaign works. So now I want to, in the spirit of war stories, I want to throw it to you guys to just touch on a quick brief story from your military experience. Yeah, I can jump on this one. I, I presented last year, so I will sort of quickly retell the story that I told last year. Not sure, you know, if, if I'm going to retell this year, you know, really like to bring in the first years for this and, and let them sort of introduce themselves since we've been here. But uh, the, the story that I told last year, this was 2018, and I was on deployment in Al-Udid, which is in Qatar, where we were based out of in the Middle East, and we were flying missions, primarily Syria, Afghanistan, and Iraq. And this particular mission that I led was in response to the Duma chemical attack on April 7th of 2018. This was the uh, Assad regime, you know, using chemical weapons on civilians. So in response to that, a week later, you know, seven days later, at the wee hours of the morning, you know, the, the U.S. military in coalition with French and British naval and air forces, you know, we attacked and struck the Syrian chemical weapons factory. So it was uh, it was a flight that I got to lead with my wingman, and I tell the story because absolutely nothing that was supposed to go right did go right. So we take off at I think it was two or three o'clock in the morning. We're we're getting up there. We have a dedicated air and flight refueling, which is basically like a like a passenger jet, like a seven thirty seven, but it's full of gasoline for the for the jet. So it's full of JP JP eight you know jet fuel. We take off. My wingman can no longer communicate. 
his radio, something went wrong in his radio, but you know, we didn't have the option of, of turning back at this point because we needed both jets in the air. So we're, you know, trucking along and I'm talking to him. He's not talking to me. And all of a sudden I'm like, look, I think you can hear me based on what you're doing. If you can hear me, pull out your flashlight. So he pulls out his flashlight and we're, you know, we're on night vision goggles at this point. So very limited scope of field that we can see. And we're communicating. Ultimately, it was, you know, eight or nine hour flight that we were on communicating using flashlights and predetermined times and checkpoints for where we were going to be. So here we are, you know, we're, we're leading this strike into the chemical weapons factory. There's surface air missiles in the air. We can see them. My wingman can't talk to me. You know, we've got to go back to this gas station in the sky several times during the strike, all of which is, is basically being coordinated between myself, our in-flight gas station in the air, and me just making calls over the radio, hoping that my wingman can still hear me. Ultimately, we accomplished the mission. You know, everything went about as according to plan as we could. And I tell that story really just because it's at night, we're over enemy territory, we're communicating with a flashlight. Oh, by the way, you know, 400 miles an hour behind a 737 filled with 200,000 pounds of JP-8. And I say that because, you know, it, Preparation, I think, is key in everything, and I think it transcends to the business world, too. I think that had we not each known exactly what we were going to do and, and to the, the person to the left and the responsibility of the person to the right, I think that the situation could have went you know, horribly wrong. But that preparation led us to, to a number of good takeaways, and you know, that's, that's sort of the, the abbreviated version. Uh, you know, last year, obviously, I've got some videos from that day and some still pictures and sort of paints a little bit better idea of what the imagery and what the story sort of entailed. But uh, yeah, that was that was a story that I told last year about leading the strike on the factory there in Syria and all the sort of riffraff that went wrong along the way. So, But in the end, it was successful. Yeah, in the end it was successful, right? And I think, you know, awesome. a lot of that a lot of that just comes down to preparation and paying attention to the details. That certainly resonates with me in terms of the details. I'm a stickler. Chrissy, how about you? Yeah, so the story I'm going to tell is actually related to Derek's. It was kind of the same time frame. It was after the chemical weapons attacks on the citizens in Duma and I was also deployed at the time. It's on my second deployment on my second ship, which was the USS Higgins. So it's a destroyer. They're known as the shooters in the Navy. They carry a lot of missiles. They protect aircraft carriers or other high value units like that. Um, so we were in the Arabian Gulf at the time. And then we found out about these chemical attacks. And, you know, we were kind of hearing whispers that there was going to be some sort of strong response from, as Derek mentioned, the UK, the US and France. So while we're waiting for this to happen, all of the outside communication on the ship gets secured. So that means you know you can't go on Facebook or send outside emails. You can't talk to people at home is really the, the big effect to that. So for about a week before, while we were waiting to see if we were going to conduct these strikes or not, you know, everyone's very tense. You know, you have 18 year olds who maybe didn't quite know what they were getting into because the Navy doesn't really see a lot of action on deployments anymore these days. Um, so anyway, just a lot of tension in that week leading up to it. And then also just the will we or won't we, because it wasn't really a, a done deal yet that we were going to shoot. But then, you know, we get the word, I think it was a little bit less than the day prior that it was going to happen. And you have the captain come over the general announcing system on the ship and give this big announcement about how we've been called to do this. And meanwhile, 
we need to be prepared after we do the strike because we'd heard that Iran and Russia, who were allied with Syria, were saying that they were going to retaliate if we did take part in the strike. That was a good example of his leadership there for me of how to kind of manage the crew's expectations for what was going to happen and then how we needed to stay mission focused even after we were done with the strike. So I can't say that I got to sleep that night um, leading up to the strike, but it all went well from our side of the house. We fired our 23 Tomahawks into Syria. A couple of other destroyers took part as well as, of course, Air Force and Marines, as Jared mentioned. And while we were prepared for that retaliation, nothing ended up happening. We'd had some Iranian small boats that were kind of circling us all night while we were waiting to do that. But thankfully, nothing happened. And, you know, we just had the, the successful strike and went back to Bahrain to go refill. And that was that was kind of the big excitement of our deployment. But it was interesting because I kind of mentioned this in the Navy on your deployments. They're pretty standard these days. You're often just doing like a show of force or a deterrence type missions. There's not a lot of like actual shooting that happens anymore. So doing what the ship was meant to do was just a very unique experience during my time in the Navy. Does that make it more rewarding that the fact that you were part of that sort of mission on a ship that was designed to do that? Or does that not come into play much for you? I mean, it was it was definitely rewarding on some levels because you, prior to deploying, you spend anywhere from six months to a year going through various certifications and you do, you know, test missile firings to prove that you can and all these other kinds of wickets that you have to meet. But so often you never actually do any of those things, which of course is good, but still it's nice to do the thing that you trained for, especially since we were targeting infrastructure, not people. So there was kind of less of that <laughs> any other issue there. Yeah. Right. Were you responsible for setting the coordinates for the missiles or is that someone else? So that is an enlisted person who's kind of running that part of the system. And then there are, it's kind of like a video game, I guess is the best way I can describe it. The job that I would have would be to order that strike by pushing, you know, a couple of buttons. And then that would send permissions over to another piece of software or a console that then this enlisted person has plotted the waypoints for the missile, if that Got makes it. sense. So there, yep. yeah, so it's kind of a multi-person step there. Awesome. This was both two fascinating short stories where we will hear more things like this on Thursday. So why don't you guys just plug it again? Where is it happening? When and what day and time? Yeah, so November 11th, Veterans Day. It's going to be during the KEGS time frame. So five to seven. We should be in Lorfink for the actual presentations. And then after those are done, we should be moving to the third floor terrace to do the, the food and beverage portion. And how many speakers do you guys anticipate? Last year, we had, I believe, seven presenters. And that usually, you know, somewhere between six to 10 folks, you know, five to 10 minutes a piece. I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I'm really looking forward to it. Again, Chrissy, Derek, thank you for your time. The McDonough Military Association, War Stories, November 11th, Veterans Day, be there or be square. Absolutely. It's gonna, it's gonna be a blast. Thanks, Mike. This was really cool. Thank you, Mike. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.